Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. In the middle of Lexington, Kentucky sits a small burial ground, barely visible if you're driving by. But the dark history it holds is now coming to light thanks to a dedicated group of volunteers who want to share these few acres. It's a story of the Underground Railroad, cholera, and faith. At 251 East 3rd Street in Lexington, you will turn into a short drive guarded by a locked gate. Walk around a few acres of United States history that demands to be recognized. According to its website, the Episcopal Burying Ground in Chapel Land was purchased in 1832 by Christ Church as a burial ground for its parishioners. The cemetery became extremely important during the 1833 cholera epidemic, during which one-third of the congregation died. The burial ground also contains a small chapel that was built around 1867. In 1976, the burying ground and former chapel were added to the National Register of Historic Places. But it's so much more than worn headstones and a beautiful little cottage and a historic place. This is home to one of history's most important people, and we don't even have a photo of him. It was believed he was the only person of color buried here, and his name is Reverend London Farrell. London came to Kentucky in 1821 after the death of his enslaver. Yes, London was a former enslaved man. He survived a sure drowning, made a promise to his God, and would later be ordained. He is also a connection to the Underground Railroad, and he played an important role during the 1833 cholera outbreak. Both white and black people respected London long before segregation was outlawed. Reverend Farrell ministered to the black population of Lexington at the First African Church. But there's so much more to the story. No one knows London Farrell's story better than Christ Church Cathedral volunteer and writer-historian Robert Vole whose book on London Farrell's life is now over 20 years in the writing. Robert has been a volunteer for years and was kind enough to sit down with me on a rainy Lexington morning to share this piece of history. In 1832, Christ Church Cathedral, which is still located downtown, realized they were going to expand, so they needed to get the bodies away from where the church was right downtown and they purchased this land in 1832. They purchased it from John Hunt uh, who was at that point the wealthiest person in Kentucky. Cholera epidemic which killed uh, 500 of the population of 7,000 in Lexington occurred and 
that resulted in many bodies being buried within and around the cemetery because they had to be buried quickly. Okay, tell me about the 1833 cholera epidemic. It is transmitted by water. It came to us from Maysville, Kentucky, us being Lexington. The, uh, the people of 1833 in Lexington scoffed at the idea that it could affect them because look at us, we're really a healthy community. We work hard, we're not gonna get sick wrong. Uh, what happened is the main water source runs right through the town. It's called the town branch. The town branch fed all of the wells in downtown Lexington. So if you had a well which basically was a brick-lined hole that went down to the underground part of the river and you extracted your drinking water from that. Unfortunately, right above the entry of that creek into the town was a large field where they used the land for dump. And they did a lot of dumping of live carcasses of animals and feces. And of course, there, there was a huge rainstorm just before the, the epidemic reached here. And that would have washed whatever was in that land. In addition, there were a lot of other things people would have brought it in. I don't know enough about that kind of an epidemic to know technically all of the factors. It did hit Lexington and it was indiscriminate as to who died. Cholera evidently shows up sweating, temperature rising, vomiting, diarrhea, all of that. Usually it started in the morning and by night they were dead. So there was no lingering or taking care of it. it you caught it and that was it. They didn't know how it would occurred. They certainly didn't have any medications. Calomel, one doctor said, yeah, if you want to advance it more quickly, you would take that. Laudanum took the pain away, but that still they still died. Now, we had a discussion about a gentleman named London Farrell. London Farrell came to my attention in 2002 as I was reading a book written about our burying ground by Francis Keller Swinford Barr. came across London Farrell, who is buried in our burying ground. What she said about that discovery was why that Baptist preacher is buried in our burying ground is a puzzle. And I read that as I was in the process of taking over responsibility for the burying ground in 2002. And as I was reading it, I saw that and being a lover of mysteries, I thought, well, I can look into that. And I found a biography about him online uh, in public domain, a very short biography. It was instructive to the point that I was intrigued by the man himself. So I looked into him and since then have been looking, building a, a huge file on him and just recently decided I better get it in writing because I couldn't add, I asked too many other people, would they write it? And they said, no. I have learned that he was an extraordinary person. 
He was born enslaved in Hanover County, Virginia. He was on a modest plantation, modest being a, a figure of speech because it was a couple thousand acres. But in Hanover, that was a big, it wasn't that big a, an operation. The owner of that uh, plantation was a lady named Ann Farrell Winston. She was advised of the birth, was probably either there or had one of her uh, house servants there. And then she named him London Farrell. London because that was her home. She, her family was from London. Farrell because that was her last name. And all we know is that he was with his mother. His father is totally unknown. Uh, there was never written or spoken about. His mother is unnamed, but he, when he was seven years old, Anne Winston needed money to cover debts of her son, one of her sons who had died. So she had to get money quickly, so she sold two slaves, London Farrell and London Farrell's mother. They were sold separately. They would never see each other again, and they didn't know what happened to either one. Either one did not know, which is a very common state of the enslaved. London Farrell had the good fortune to be purchased by a man called Colonel Samuel Overton. And Samuel Overton uh, was a revolutionary soldier of this Revolutionary War. Samuel was given the title Colonel by brevet, which means after he was uh, released from the service for his heroic service. One of the things, just incidentally, about Samuel is that he was in a raid conducted and led by Patrick Henry. He was a bachelor, never married. It doesn't mean he didn't have children, and they were of mixed race. Mm -hmm. So he was a frequent visitor to the Wood, uh, Woodgrove Plantation and he would have been familiar with London Farrell, and he saw something in his countenance. He, he wanted to really protect him, I believe, in enslavement. So he did, and he made sure that uh, that worked. A seminal incident occurred when he was 11 years old under the ownership of uh, uh, Overton. He and another enslaved person, Farrell Price, which means that it was probably another one of Anne Winston's children's grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Farrell Price and London were swimming, bathing actually. The current caught them and they wrapped their arms around each other and were carried downstream. A washerwoman grabbed a branch, grabbed, their, grabbed them by the hair, pulled them up on the on the bank, turned them upside down, downhill, and let them drain out. And, and they'll live or they won't live. Was with, <laughs> They lived. So the next day, they got together, and London Farrell said, it was because God saved us, and I will serve God till the day I die. Now that sounds like something a young boy might say, but London Farrell never did less than serve God alone in anything he did. So when he was apprenticed the next year to become a house 
builder. He was apprenticed to Edmund Daly in Richmond, Virginia, who was a, and I didn't mention, Samuel Overton owned tens of thousands of acres. He owned about 500 acres in downtown Richmond, Virginia, right on the river. Edmund Daly was his builder. So, and Edmund Daly was a churchgoer. So Edmund Daly made, and he was charged also with getting him to church and getting him familiar with the Bible, and he did. So as he's learning to build houses, he's learning about the God he's going to serve the rest of his life. So now he wants 20 years, he's 20 years old, Farrell Price is 20 years old. They meet and London says, have you kept your covenant to serve God alone? He cried and he said, no, but let's get baptized. So they went to Waller Baptist Church, Spotsylvania. They were baptized. London Farrell gave, got up, sang, and he had a beautiful singing voice, and he gave a testimony, and the elders pulled him into a room and said, we're going to lay our hands, uh, the right hand of fellowship on you, and you will have permission to preach. So this would have been, would this have been a black church, or? Nope. No, white no, church. No, actually I had a chance to visit that church. Mm -hmm. It's a, it is a mixed, has always been a mixed church with no, no balconies to sit in where the, the enslaved were sitting right next to the people. Wow, okay. Very unique church. So with that permission, he's 20 years old, he goes out and starts to preach and immediately is recognized as an outstanding preacher. And uh, it does, is visiting a lot of homes, singing and preaching visiting a lot of plantations to conduct funerals for the enslaved. is recognized to the point that Samuel Overton had two friends come by and in 1811. London Farrell is as good a preacher as Andrew Broadus, who would have been the Billy Graham of that era. Right. Or if you've heard of him, mm -hmm. uh, definitely. Uh, and I, when I read the Andrew Broadus' uh, biography, I found that the description of the two men, although Broadus was white, was very almost identical. No schooling. They were they learned to read on their own, they learned the Bible on their own, and they just were good preachers and good singers. So there was a direct parallel. Samuel Overton said, if I live, I will make sure that London gets formal schooling. He died the next spring. He also, in his will, freed London Farrell, gave him $50, the equivalent of about $1,500 today, and with better buying power than $1,500 today. And uh, London Farrell, uh, Overton's will, and in 1814, January, he was freed. That year, he spent going back to the people he preached, hiring somebody to baptize them. There were 50 or more. In addition, he married his wife, Rhoda, 
about two or three years younger than he is. Rhoda Hood was her name. And they decide they're going to come to Lexington, Kentucky. At the About the fall of 1814, they arrived in Lexington, in Athens, at the home of James Overton, the brother of his deceased owner. They only stayed there about two weeks because they wanted to be in Lexington, so they moved five or six miles into Lexington. Got an apartment, he started waiting tables, he started preaching on the street, and immediately people were gathering to hear this wonderful preacher. So he had a gift, He was just true a true gift. gift. True gifted, schooled by his commitment to serve God alone. Mm-hmm. In, in any question you have of his behavior or what is happening, there were no differences in the people he talked to. He witnessed on the street to white and people of color. In our own church, uh, there are records of people who are white, were white, who said they wanted London Farrell to do their burial. So they were saved somehow through his preaching, but they were still Episcopalians. Are there any photos that exist or his own writings? The only description we have of London Farrell is his, his and Rhoda's freedom papers. And in those papers, she is described as a bright mulatto, uh, free mulatto. She had never been enslaved. That's all we know about Rhoda. But what we, all, the only thing we know from that about London is he's five feet seven, he was black, and he was free. <laughs> and no photos, no... No paintings, no... Re- that's the only physical reference about him. In 1880s, uh, the first African Baptist church was formed by a person of color, Peter Durrett. Now, Peter Durrett had built the uh, church primarily for the, uh, for the people of color, free and enslaved on Maxwell Street here in Lexington and was a very successful church. Peter Durrett was, uh, did not know how to read. Everything was done by memory. So when he sought to be ordained, the Elkhorn Baptist Association said no. And they said, uh, will you recognize the people I've baptized? And they said no. During the epidemic, because he was so close and because so many people were dying that he was familiar with downtown. If someone in your family died, you were told, get them to a burying ground immediately. He was here every day burying, and that's documented, given accolades down through the centuries. In any event, he was burying all of the victims and his wife died. So she is also buried here because that's where he was. And he was, and he says that he had the largest funeral for his wife. There were six people there. Not many people wanted to be around a dead body. Mm At any rate, uh, what I've concluded is his burial, his burial, which occurred in 1854 after he died without remarrying intentionally, he was buried in the same area where we are fully aware many people who are unknown were buried who had died from cholera. 
many people of color died, he would have buried them. And I believe that's why he was here every day, primarily for them, but without discretion, because he cites many people of, uh, who were notable that he had attended inside the burying ground. There was no fence at that point, so he was buried on what was known as the perimeter of the burying ground. We have looked electronically and mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. that that is all disturbed soil on the other side. You know, we had that area from that area on was to be reserved for anybody who would be taking care of the burying grounds for a garden. That's, that was London Farrell's presence in June of 1833, and his, where his permanent presence was in his burial, which was attended by over 4,000 people. It was at that point the second largest funeral in attendance, except for Henry Clay's funeral, which was two years earlier. And you said Henry Clay remained in the top... That's the biggest funeral that's been. He had 30,000 people at his funeral. He was also born, born in Hanover County, by the way, about a few miles away from the plantation where London was. So they, there was a common collegiality. And I'm certain they would have talked because he had his law offices right down opposite uh, where one of the places where London would, would have been teaching the Bible. Now, you were explaining that people were literally coming from miles and miles away in wagons. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? He was known to make frequent trips to Maysville, places that are primary, primary passages for the Underground Railroad. He was going up there to baptize people. He was a busy man and he would go wherever the call was. The church that is building that is there right now was completed two years after he died. He was in the process of helping to renovate the church. And you'll see it's quite an edifice. So our thoughts so far are as people are coming through the Underground Railroad into freedom, he's there baptizing them. The two men who were responsible for coordinating the Underground Railroad had an office in the basement of the church that London Farrell was minister of. Yes, he had something to do with the Underground Railroad. He was so trusted, and he was entrusted by the trustees and by the Elkhorn Baptist Church, who, by the way, did ordain him, making him the first person of color in 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 uh, Kentucky. He was the minister of the First African Baptist Church. Okay. That church was started by Peter Durrett. Right. The last two years of Peter Durrett's life, London Farrell and he, Peter Durrett, preached side by side in the First African Baptist Church. When he would leave town to go to Maysville, to go to Cincinnati, he would have another pastor preach in his place. He was a man, a white man, and he was, his name was Pratt. London Farrell asked him to be, uh, to preach in his absence whenever he would be out of town. He was so well received by all whites 
who might have owned slaves or didn't, that they never violated or went in or followed up on any rumors that, of anything he would have done. Mm -hmm. I think because he was a cabinet or a house builder, he certainly could have rigged a compartment on that wagon that he had. He had an old Yankee wagon that he bought to come here from from Hanover. I, I believe that he indeed made provisions, maybe even had some people with him while he was going up who would sit up in the, who had, nobody would stop him. He was a familiar figure. The dichotomy of that is you've got all these enslaved individuals tasking and working for you, yet the respect that a black man would have because of his God-given talents, and nobody thinks to report him as, as being suspicious on the railroad or... Exactly. And I think if they did, they would say, you know, we get more value from him than one slave who might be able to escape. That's amazing. But I, that's, I, that's just conjecture on my part. I, the other thing that has been spoken by a prior minister that I knew of First African Baptist, Dr. McIntyre. Well, mm -hmm. Dr. McIntyre was the minister of First African Baptist when I was doing my research. And his book about the church claims that Harriet Tubman spent a night in that church. Well, Harriet Tubman only had one purpose in life, and mm -hmm. that was to escort slaves out and to the to the rail through the railroad. So if she spent a night there, it was on her on her way to yep. to free, help somebody to freedom. To know that you had the confidence of the community that they weren't going to violate your private space unless invited in spoke volumes of of the reputation he had and why he was the one the town trustees asked to. What, is, what would Pratt also said something else about London Farrell. He said, doubling the police force of Lexington wouldn't make it any more peaceful than he makes it by keeping the people faithful and hopeful. And, and I can't imagine how some of those slaves must have accepted their, you know, the fact that they were uh, enslaved. Property. And they were, they were property. We know today how grueling and cruel that is. But then it was part of life. Right. Yeah. In our own church, uh, during the Civil War, Christ Church was about half and half, Union, half Confederate. And the, we stayed together, and that was done by our priests saying, it doesn't matter what you are politically or militarily. You come here and you take your communion at the rail. At that point, you are equal in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. That's how we will live. So we didn't have any divisions on that. But Cassius Marcellus Clay, if you know Cassius mm -hmm. Clay, mm -hmm. Cassius Marcellus Clay was a member of Christ Church. And he wrote to the bishop and thanked him for the work they were doing for the Underground Railroad. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so that's a part of our record. 
So, yes, even we were doing something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, and what we're not known for during the, that time is that kind of activity. But we never, and, you know, now we can brag on it and that, but that would, there were too many people who really get ticked <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> is it, okay, is, is it still standing, that First African Baptist? That original church is. It's now owned by uh, a contracting. Is London Farrell mentioned in any history books, local? Because I know I'm from Texas. Texas history was a very serious yeah. class you had to take, <laughs> you know. But is he in local history books? Is he no. mentioned in and nowhere? That's one, that's one of the reasons I want to write this. Mm-hmm. And, and the other inspiration I had was in 1902, Lyman Beecher Todd. Lyman Beecher was, of course, Harriet Beecher, uh, Harriet Beecher's uh, father. The Todd name puts him in Mary Todd Lincoln's mm-hmm. family. He mm-hmm. was a cousin. Just uh, he was a physician. He was he was in Washington two times. First time Lincoln made him the postmaster of Lexington. The second time Lincoln was shot. Lyman Beecher Todd was was present at his death and was part of the uh, the autopsy. So that's who wrote the, an article in 1902, just before he died. London Farrell had left in his will for the Morton School, and there was this beautiful bookcase in that school, and the, pr- the principal wanted to know, who is this London Farrell? I don't know. Do you? And he said, oh, I certainly do. And he came and visited, saw that, and then concluded his article by saying to all who follow, I implore that you honor London Farrell in some way. He deserves monuments on his behalf. That's one of the reasons I'm writing this book. I've been researching it for over 20 years, or been seriously attacking it for two and a half years now. And I, I would expect it's going to be another year and I'll have something done. Hopefully I have the prospects of, of a publisher at this point. Once that happens, uh, they'll be able to stir me up to do more fastidious writing. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's the process. <laughs> it, that's it's the a, process. It is a process and it's a wonderful one. The burying ground where we are is... Uh, contains 11 revolutionary soldiers. One of those soldiers was George Nicholas, who wrote the Constitution of Kentucky. He was the Attorney General. Uh, yeah, he was the Attorney General of Kentucky. So we have that. We have the Hart family. Uh, Thomas Hart, one of the Thomas Harts, are buried up, uh, on the grounds. Uh, hired Daniel Boone to clear the Wilderness Trail that allowed eventually allowed London Farrell and his wife to bring their wagon up to Lexington. If we learn anything from history, we learn how we are all connected. Walk through the old Episcopal burying grounds. There is a survivor of one of the worst maritime events in history. Soldiers, heroes, villains, people who have been highlighted in American history people who deserve to be highlighted in our story, like London Farrell. Just a piece of dark history located in a little plot in the middle of Kentucky's second largest city. 
but a very large part of who we are. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.